Their story starts in a hospital in Winchester, Massachusetts. It starts in 1962. It starts in a maternity ward where Judy Hoyt gives birth to baby Rick. And it starts in tragedy. Judy and Dick, her husband, endured the anguish of an abnormal delivery. As his head crowned, it became frighteningly clear that something was terribly wrong. The umbilical cord had wrapped around Nick's ne- uh, Rick's neck, cutting off the flow of oxygen to his brain. Despite the best efforts of obstetricians, Judy and Dick were sentenced to endure the devastating reality that their precious son could not move his limbs and showed few signs of being able to live a life of any kind of quality. Neonatal specialists advised Judy and Dick to prepare for the worst. There is nothing going on in Rick's brain, they said. His life will be short, they said. Better put him in an institution so that at least he would get round-the-clock care, they chillingly said. But if this is a story that begins in tragedy, it is also laced with hope. Because Judy and Dick were not content with that diagnosis. Instead of to an institution, they took Rick home and in time made a profound discovery. That when they crossed the room, Rick's eyes would follow them. Time passed, but their belief did not. It only grew and flourished. Months moved into years and they beheld new signs of something beautiful. They interpreted Rick's movements and vocal sounds as his attempt to interact with them. And so, after 11 years of believing against all odds, Rick's parents took him to Tufts University to see if there was some way to release the caged bird that sang in Rick's heart and empower him to communicate. The college was sceptical, thinking that the boy was incapable of thought, let alone communication. But more out of wanting to pacify his parents than of any real expectation, they created a device that allowed Rick to control the cursor on a computer monitor by touching a switch with the side of his head. And beautifully, miraculously, Rick began to communicate, in time learning to type words into the computer. A short while later, Dick and Judy enrolled Rick in high school. But tragedy struck that community once more when one of Rick's classmates suffered massive trauma in a road accident and was left paralysed. The school did what they could to help, and someone organised a charity run for him. Parents and friends signed up to raise a few dollars for the victim of the accident. And Rick pecked out on his computer, Dad, I want to do that. Well, Dick had never run more than a mile in his life, but he entered the race and pushed Rick in his wheelchair for the full five miles. That act changed Rick's life. Dad, he typed, when we were running, it felt like I wasn't disabled anymore. 
That sentence, like a supernatural force, seized Dick and transformed him. He became a man possessed by a vision, a mission, a God-given calling to give Rick that feeling as often as he could. He adopted a brutal training regimen and got into such shape that he and Rick entered and finished the 1979 Boston Marathon. After a few more long-distance running events, somebody said, Hey, Dick, why not try a triathlon? So they did, 257 times including six Ironman triathlons, each comprising a 2.4-mile swim, a 112-mile bike ride, and a 26.2-mile run. And Dick could not even swim before he started training for the first one. During the swim leg of the triathlon, Dick would attach a rope around his chest whilst Rick sat in a dinghy at the other end of the rope. Someone designed a bike with a seat and harness at the front for Rick to sit in. Four years ago, Team Hoyt retired from athletic competition. Well, they had to. Dick was 72. They had planned to make the 2013 Boston Marathon their last run, but the bombing of that event meant they were prevented from finishing, and Team Hoyt could not retire with did not finish next to their name, and so they postponed their retirement to the following year's race. As well as their 257 triathlons and six Ironmans, Team Hoyt completed 72 marathons and in 1992 they cycled and ran their way across the United States 3,753 miles from sea to shining sea in just 45 days. Here's what Dick says about his son. He motivates and inspires me. He's a very tough guy and he doesn't let his disability get in the way of the things he likes to do. I just feel now that Rick is the athlete and I'm out there just loaning him my arms and legs so we can compete together. I don't run without him. I wouldn't know what to do with my arms And Rick's take on all this? The thing I'd like most is that my dad would sit in the chair and I could push him for once. Do you think that pushing a 120-pound man in a wheelchair for a 26-mile run is a burden? Do you think that towing him for two and a half miles while you swim across a lake is a hardship? Maybe cycling for a day with that weight on the front of your bike is a millstone? Well, that's not how Dick Hoyt sees it. His son, a burden, never All that pain, all those self-denials, all that Herculean achievement and the mental and physical suffering that went with it are nothing to Dick. There were times when I thought the Christian life was a joyless sack of crushing burdens. 
don't do this, refrain from that, resist the urge, deny the flesh. That's what I believed. Don't do the things you want to do, and those things you don't want to do, you know, good deeds, putting yourself out for others and God, standing up for victims, going to church even, yes, those things, well, do them. As I look back, I think my early Christian years were dominated by the unspoken belief that if there was some fun to be had, God must be against it. And if there was anything I'd find unpleasant, unattractive or uninteresting, then God would surely want me to commit to that. Very occasionally, even now, that blasphemy will slip unexpectedly into my soul with a ball and chain, clamp it firmly around my joy and drag it into melancholy. I say blasphemy because it is based on a belief about God that is false. A God who is a harsh taskmaster, a ruthless judge. And then... Into my prison of gloom, John, the writer of this morning's epistle reading, strides, lamp in one hand, key in the other, with a message from the Lord. For the love of God is this, that we obey his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Yes, of course, Following Christ, as we often remind ourselves, especially in Lent, involves self-denial and crosses. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And those words of Jesus sting and sear and wound. Our egos are lacerated, our pride is scorched, our self-interest is torn off the throne it has usurped and is put in its place. We get it. So we assume that serving God is drudgery, obeying his commands is a burden. But this is not Lent, this is Easter, the season of resurrection, new life, new joy and expansive love. So let's rejoice and ask ourselves, what's the alternative? Where else can we go? What other path can we tread? Is living life to please yourself really all it's cracked up to be? Does self-interest genuinely result in joy of heart and peace of mind? Is throwing off all constraints of morality and ethics really the way to happiness? Does turning your head away from the needs of others and the suffering of a broken world actually help you feel good about yourself? The way of the cross is the path to crucifying our sinful natures, but it is also the road to resurrection. Taking up your cross is hard, but walking through life without it is harder. Giving is tough, but hoarding is ruinous. Praying can leave us cold, but not praying can leave us frozen. Forgiving will cause us pain, but refusing to forgive will cause my destruction.
Admitting I was wrong is humbling, but insisting I am right will make me lonely. Repaying injury with kindness goes against our instinct for survival, but holding on to resentment is the suicide of our souls. Keeping your mouth closed when you want to criticise, backbite or gossip is one of life's hardest tasks. But sharing your negativity poisons the air that you yourself have to breathe. Following the way of Christ with your words, your mind, your hands, feet and heart is almost impossible without the Holy Spirit. But following our own way is restlessness, discontent and alienation. Jesus says, come to me, you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's not that there is no yoke and no burden, but they are easy and light compared to life lived without Christ. What is the key to turning God's commands from drudgery to joy, from burden to freedom? The answer lies in the dominant word in John's first letter, love. Dick Hoyt doesn't think of Rick as a burden because he loves him. In the same way, there are many motivations we can have for following the way of Christ. There's fear, that'll work. Guilt, absolutely. Even self-loathing. But the greatest and the grandest, the purest and the surest, the most fulfilling and the most rewarding is love. Love for God and love for the people he made. One night, a woman had a dream, a rare dream, a challenging dream, a dream from God. A dream to swell her heart and inflame her mind. God had a job for her. Some years earlier, she had bought her house, despite the presence of a two-ton ornamental boulder in the front yard. It was not a feature she admired, but she really liked the house, and so she settled for the boulder also. And that boulder was the topic of her dream. Push against it, God said. Use all the strength I've given you, all the determination I've bestowed on you, all the smarts I've poured on you, and push against the boulder. The next day she rose early, full of hope, and eagerly set to work. She leaned against the rock and pushed and pushed. And she carried on pushing until she stopped for lunch. Then she went back out and continued to push until evening. The next day she pushed some more, and the next, and the next. Days turned into weeks, and weeks into months. She toiled from dawn till dusk, pushing with all God had given her. Each night 
she went indoors, aching and exhausted, feeling that she had failed God. Finally, she had had enough. Lord, she prayed, I have laboured long and hard in your service, killing myself, doing what you have commanded. Yet, after all these months, I have not moved that rock half a millimetre. And God replied, My child, I am proud of you. Thank you. I told you to push against the rock with all your strength. You have been faithful and obedient. I did not ask you to move it. Your task was just to push. And now you come to me with your strength gone, thinking that you have failed. But look at yourself. Your arms are strong and muscled, your back broad, your hands and legs have become firm. You are ready for great things. The commands of the Lord are not burdensome, says John. They are the ways we become great in God's kingdom. So this week, when you hear God's voice, as you surely will, calling you to action, don't resist it, don't resent it. Your task may be hard, but only God knows the glory that awaits you. Amen.